Welcome back to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, a show that's by sport PTs and for sport PT professionals. We're here to accelerate growth in your sports PT career while giving you the tools to provide your athletes with game-changing results. Here's your host, sports physical therapist and practice owner, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. Deemer Class, welcome to the True Sports Pod. Super excited to have you here. Super excited to kind of hear what you're up to. And what I really want to hone in on today's episode is the way you coach, the way you teach. And the reason I want to hit that is because every great sports PT is an outstanding teacher, or they should be. And I want to glean from you and our audience of sports PTs want to hear from an outstanding coach. How is it that you coach movement? And that's exactly what we're going to get into today. First and foremost, I want to hear the Deemer class origin story. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, first off, Yoni, uh, really excited to be here. It's been great building a relationship with you over time. I think I met you back in 2013, 2014. Right around there. Back in the original office. Yes, the original office. I did not have more hair maybe a little bit more hair just a little just bit. a little bit yeah. yeah um and uh it's been a fun ride uh you know we um started our business uh really after i graduated college so i grew up in baltimore i played at Loyola high school i graduated from duke in 2016 i was lucky to have some great coaches that i think really inspired me to keep loving the sport and be passionate about the sport um i went on to play professionally in the mll and pll and you know, in that, in my pursuit of playing lacrosse full time, that's when I really fell in love with training athletes and really trying to build a business to help players get better and help now teams develop as well. And uh, so that's where first class lacrosse came about. And uh, it's been exciting to see the growth doing training, events, uh, online content, and uh, really just trying to keep finding ways to stay on the cutting edge and, and help players get better. Uh, we work with men's players, women's players, And it's been a fun ride so far. And that's one of the things I love about following you and your career and the trajectory. You're always trying to get better and get better first as a player um, and then as a coach. So tell us what makes an outstanding coach. And that's a coach of anything. I think the best coaches that I've played for and been fortunate to play for, I think the big thing that sticks out to me is they had high standards. These standards were the ways that they felt like players should be operating on and off the field and how you should carry yourself on and off the field. And they were not afraid to hold players accountable to that standard, but they were also understanding, I think, in terms of building relationships and understanding the different places that players might be coming from. And I felt like they were never unreasonable in their asks Mm -hmm. of, of athletes. And, uh, and it, but I just felt like I really gravitated towards these coaches who would set a high standard and a high bar for how they wanted things to be done and, you know, really inspire players to push towards that. Like how you do something, how you do each rep, how you, um, you know, interact with people and how you represent the program. And so I think, you know, I think when I've even recognized and looked at other great sports coaches and someone that always comes to mind for me is a Nick Saban Mm -hmm. when I hear him and read about him talk about recruiting and just how he runs his program from top down that is always really inspiring to me and something I want to keep pushing towards in terms of even when I run my events you know it starts with me 
and how can I get my coaches on staff to buy into that message and then how are they treating the athletes, how are they teaching them, cueing them uh, and, and running you know, drills in a way that are going to help them get better and create that environment. There's so much to pull from just in that quick response. I thought I was going to hear about the way you break down movement, the way you cue move, movement, and you really took a much higher level holistic approach when you say, what is a great coach? Um, and I think that's something that sports PTs can certainly learn from. How do you structure a full rehab program, even more macroscopically? How do I get a team of physical therapists to be pulling in the same direction? Because that's what you were kind of talking about, all the coaches that work with you and for you. How are they educating appropriately? So I love hearing that there's so much to learn from the way you structure that. Tell me a little bit more about first class lacrosse so I can get a better feel and then dive all the way deep into how you coach movement. So tell me about that entire organization that you're running. Yeah, so um, we have two primary coaches that work with me. Uh, one is Christian Cuccinello, who you know. Love him. Um, and, uh, and the other is Matt Dunn, who runs our defensive training and content and Matt happened to be one of my best friends from high school and so it's been really exciting to continue that relationship and the world's best defender defender he is the world's world's best best. defender yes we've been fortunate um, as his career's taken a change and he's committed to lacrosse to to have him on board and uh, essentially you know our goal right now we're we're mostly running regional weekly training Um, we've continued over the years to not only just do one-off training in clinics, which is, I think, how we've built our brand, but then also find our markets or where we're living to try to provide more consistent coaching. And, uh, you know, so Matt does weekly defensive training in Baltimore. Christian, this fall especially, has been really building up training in North Jersey and the Jersey Shore. Um, I am doing weekly training in Baltimore, Westchester, New York, and Long Island, New York. And, uh, and then... Outside of that, we're doing some programming with uh, some high school teams. Uh, we're doing you know, online content that is provided to club programs, kind of access to our drill library and database. And then uh, we are going into year three of what we call best in class, which is a high level recruiting and training event uh, where we bring in kids from all around the country um, and we train them, we have games, uh, we added a combine uh, this summer to continue to try to, to, you know, develop a data set in our sport because I think that's something that is missing, and uh, and that's really the the range of, of what we're doing and kind of our focus areas. And then we also last year started launching some athlete advising and mentoring, um, you know, where we watch film with players on Zoom and we really start diving into being a resource beyond just you know, the training sessions themselves. Because I think so much, and kind of going back to what makes a great coach, is not only just the X's and O's and the technique, but it's building those relationships. And and having, you know, someone as a coach, as a player that you trust, that you can look up to, that you can work with and collaborate with, and, and, uh, and know that they can give you some sound advice to like make the best decisions for, you know, your career as an athlete. And I I can honestly say too that I've had that with you because you've always been someone that I can bounce ideas off of and even business-wise too. Mm -hmm. Um, And and just trust that like, you know, I'm, you know, getting some good sound advice from a, that comes from a good place. 
I love it because the lessons just carry over. It's all business, right? Every business is just about the same. Here's what I just heard in what you were describing. You have a staff, albeit an unbelievable staff, of three dudes, right? And they're awesome. And Cooch is great. And Dunn is the best defender in the world. And you, and you are reaching an unbelievable amount of kids. And and so, and athletes. And the, what what resonates with me is, it's not so different in the sports PT world. When you met me, it was me renting a small room in the back of a church in Fells Point, Baltimore, and treating a whole bunch of athletes. And now it's even easier because of the technology you're able to touch kids on West Coast, right? And be based here in Baltimore um, with a staff of three. How many kids do you think you're coaching are coming into contact with first-class lacrosse? How many? I would say... Just thinking about our, you know, main events and training, I, I mean, I definitely think we're, you know, we'll be over a thousand players, like hands-on at some point during this year. It's incredible. It's incredible. So a thousand players, three full-timers, obviously you bring in the staff when you need it, but that's a great lesson in and of itself from a business standpoint is what you can really do, live and lean. I think people get out over their skis too often. Uh, they need the, the latest and greatest tech. They need um, big, fancy facilities they need a huge that you don't need that like just pump your brakes and be awesome at what you do and what you can do with even a slim group is is incredible so that's awesome to hear and I, I love the way you think about structuring things for efficiency that is certainly a hallmark of yours let's let's dive in a little bit deeper if that's what makes a great coach what you just described what's unique about what Deemer class brings to the table that pts can learn from yeah, it's a great question. Um, because it's about Deemer class. <laughs> I think uh, I think one of my stronger traits is the ability to connect with the players. I think something I've gained more and more over the years is the ability to be like empathetic and understanding and try to figure out what motivates different players. The best advice I got from actually. Uh, Soccer coach Kadani at at USC, who who is uh, you know now at a, at a different school. But when I asked him actually about coaching men's versus women's, because I, I coached for three years at USC um, with the Division One women's program, um, I I guess I forgot to mention that. Yes, you did. We're <laughs> uh, we gonna get there in, in the intro. But um, I asked him because I'd never coached a team of women before, and I just said, "What would be the biggest difference? What's your advice for me?" And uh, you know, being a male and, and just you know you know coaching that team, and he just said, best advice he ever got was treat every player like an individual, and I felt like that really resonated with me with me because I was like, hey, this is how some of my best coaches have always treated me, and so I think regardless of you know male or female, if I can take that approach and work to connect, I think then and and then show them that I care about them and have, have been through some similar stuff, I think they can start to buy in more and more to the messages or how to shoot or dodge or play offense and, and that standard that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So I think that has probably been the best thing that I've been able to do, which I think has led to, you know, any success we've had, I think has been rooted in that. That That's also super powerful. We say, um, to, to use a topic near and dear to both of our hearts, um, hip scopes um, and athletic pubalgia. And once you've seen one hip scope, you've seen one hip scope. 
and, and everyone's unique and everyone's going to come across something that they need to overcome. You've got to meet that athlete where they are. It's true whether they're a patient. It's true whether they're a Division I uh, women's lacrosse player. So I think that's, that's really well said um, and, and, and super interesting. Now, I, I fell in love with the lacrosse sport, um, actually came about it through uh, my baseball background. And so I love um, the idea of the rotational athlete and creating the crazy amounts of torque that baseball pitchers do, baseball players do. And that translates beautifully into lacrosse. Here's what we know about baseball pitching. It is insanely complex. There are so many moving parts. The exact same can be said in the lacrosse world. And uh, chime in here if you agree or disagree. It's so much poorer understood in the lacrosse world what creates a successful outcome. Do you agree with that? From a shooting perspective? From a shooting perspective. I, I think... I definitely would agree, and, and the, just the data behind it is, is nowhere near the same. Right, nowhere near the same. Um, I'm glad we see eye to eye on that, because I don't know where I would have gone if you were like, no, we got this. Um, but it's in, because of that, it's insanely hard to coach an athlete of that level. Here's exactly how you throw a baseball. Here's exactly how you shoot a lacrosse ball. So when you take something so complex, which encompasses the entire body, how do you teach that effectively? Yeah, and I think... This is a great question. I think it also ties back to, you know, when you're talking about strengths of mine, of like how I've tried to teach. I think one of the constant pieces of feedback that I've always gotten, whether it's my online content or when I'm teaching players, is the ability to simplify and make it sound so simple. And I think that's a common thing that I see in strength and conditioning, probably PT, not you, don't worry. I'm with you. Um, and, and sports is people's, and it happens in finance and law and like people's need to make things sound so much more complicated than it really is. And I think it's some sort of probably ego and insecurity and making sure that, oh, like, can this be replicated? Can this be, you know, but I have to make it sound really complex and really important. Um, I think that's been something that's actually been uh, really helpful that I've used to my advantage is can I connect with third and fourth grade kids and seven and eight year olds who are just starting all the way to college and professional athletes and trying to say things in a way that can resonate and connect. And just knowing that that might change, you know, finding different analogies and cues. When I go back to thinking about teaching shooting, I've really tried to now simplify what are a couple of things that I think are the main keys. And then as I see things come up, I'm trying not to assume what I think is going to be wrong or assume what I'm going to see and then as I see stuff I'm not afraid to make tweaks run different drills and then try to adapt to to the athlete and the biggest thing I've again even only I graduated six years ago from college I'm trying and, and my friend uh, Tim who I was coaching with in Nashville yesterday he brought me down to, to Nashville um, he even said it himself how can I get out of the way of the athletes and, and let them figure it out more? I think that's even more what I'm trying to continue to progress to, to allow them to explore, allow them to explore the movement and get a, get a sense and a feel for what they're doing as opposed to just being told all the time and then them trying to just replicate what they're told. I think that also inhibits curiosity in a way too. So that's how I'm really trying to continue to, to teach it. What I've noticed, because I've done a number of clinics with you, a number of workshops, was a part of that combine atmosphere. What I've noticed about the way you coach 
is the amount of reps that you're able to build in and allow that what we call in our field kinesthetic awareness, our ability to understand the way things are moving on our body with a very complex task. You just build in these reps that allows the athlete to ingrain that into their movement patterns. That's something that I've appreciated from watching you teach and coach. You're awesome at simplifying stuff. That's an awesome lesson to teachers of movement. And that's what sports PTs are. How do you take something really complex, whether you're, you're teaching something, uh, something like scapular retraction, pulling your shoulder blades back in the right place, just make it as simple as possible. Maybe it's a tactile cue you touching the patient and saying, put your scap here. Maybe it's showing them here's where it should be, but it's, there's a good chance that it's different for everyone. There's two books I've read that have also continued to help me evolve how I'm teaching. One is the inner game with tennis and the other one is, I believe it's called the art of movement or it, it might even, that might be completely off, but the author is Rob Gray. Okay. I sent you this book. I, I definitely talked to you about it last year, and it's it's very much supportive of constraints-led approach, and that's something I'm seeing in a sport like ours more. It's something I'm seeing across other sports where, you know, the difference being our sport comparing to a pitching, mm-hmm. you know, is that you know you have that same athlete having to move in a lot of different ways. They're not just a shooter. They're a dodger. They're moving. They're cutting. They're playing with the ball, without the ball, and you know, you have such limited time with these players and the younger they are, they're playing different sports, which we won. And, you know, they've got school and then, you know, the older they are, even professional lacrosse players, like not everyone in reality is still just a professional lacrosse player. So your time on field is going to be constrained. So then how do you maximize that time? How do you create drills that have the reps but also allow them to explore and get the feel. And then how do you guide them and give them that feedback? And that's also why we've started using film so much too, because we're, we're thinking, why is it just for high school or college and professional players? Younger players should be learning how to watch, use, study, and then go out and try it or maybe make a tweak on their own. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's really powerful. Um, you mentioned tennis, right? You mentioned some of baseball. I mentioned a lot of baseball. Um, what's another comp, like how, what else are you pulling into your coaching from other sports that are benefiting the athletes that are in front of you? I thought I had a football background. I didn't start playing tackle till seventh grade, but I, I played, um, varsity for three years in high school. And, and that was a sport that was always close to my heart. I've always used the quarterback comparison. Uh, but again, you know, we talk about connecting with different athletes, like, you know, for a women's lacrosse player that doesn't hold the same connection you know sure they've thrown football and but you know not many of them have played tackle even though we had a few that did um so again trying to find different things to connect i've even found myself um sometimes talking and comparing stick path in lacrosse to like spiking a volleyball or you know serve like and that's the same as like the tennis serve Mm -hmm. like finding that highest point where you're snapping um golf is a good one you know, learning how to transfer your weight and, and rotate through. Um, there's definitely, as I've even picked up golf more, as I've, you know, tried to keep getting better in terms of tennis, there's different things with like your snap of your wrist that don't translate. And so it's just trying to find things that you can use as analogies to help players connect the feel without saying that it's a one-for-one translation. 
Hey guys, this is Yoni with the True Sports PT Podcast. Just taking a quick break to let you know that our practice is growing. We have availability on our team for outstanding sports physical therapists. Doesn't matter if you're new to the game, doesn't matter if you've been out of school for a while, if you want to treat athletes, we are the place for you. We have outstanding benefit packages, great starting salaries, and more importantly, it is the ideal place to treat elite level athletes. Just reach out at pod at truesportspt.com. We also want to hear your feedback on the podcast. Maybe there's a guest that you want me to have on. Maybe there's a topic you want me to cover. Reach out, same email address, pod, P-O-D, at truesportspt.com. We can't wait to hear from you. I love it. The carryover to my world, how can you do a drill, be it med ball, be it snatch, be it where a, a movement where you're creating a whip-like pattern and explain to the athlete, here's why we're doing this med ball drill. Here's why I want you doing the snatch like this. You're going to see it on the field. It's what you do for a living. In your case, for years it was being able for that to resonate. I was working with a linebacker just last night and I put together, he, he said he's coming off of an Achilles injury. He had issues, um, what he called anchoring. The hell does anchoring me? You know, I don't know what that means. We, I certainly didn't learn about that in grad school. I had him show it to me based upon what he was showing. How well can he absorb force moving backwards, which shows up all the time in the sport of football and in lacrosse, especially in Matt Dunn's world. And then how can he anchor that back leg and drive forward. And so then you create a med ball drill around that. It's no different than what we would do and what you and I did for years in the lacrosse world. How do we create whip? How do we create dissociation? What does that, what do those words mean? How do we explain it to the athlete to allow buy-in? I think that's the take home in the sports PT world of exactly what you were, you were describing. There's a ton there. How do you avoid you were a great athlete. There are tons of sports PTs, myself not included, that were outstanding athletes that struggle to teach athletic movements to those who are not as athletically gifted. Um, I, I think it was Magic Johnson. He lasted like a couple weeks on the bench of the Lakers, right? Because he just couldn't understand why people couldn't do what he could do for years. That had to have happened to the Deemer classes of the world. When you get on the field, you know, you got the freshman from McDonough who just can't figure out how to put his feet and arms together. And you're able to still teach. How do you get over that barrier of it was so easy for you? I think if I think about my origin story, I was never looking back, fortunately. Why I think I was a pretty natural athlete just growing up. I, I never had one sport that I just dominated at. And, you didn't dominate lacrosse. And then did not dominate lacrosse for most of my career. And then I think that always forced me to have to continue to find ways to get better and put in the work. and. I started seeing more and more success throughout high school and then I gained more confidence and then it started becoming this like kind of self-fulfilling like you know mechanism too where I just wanted more you know I really got a taste of what it felt like to score a goal and to have some success and that just drove me so much and I think I've started to embody that in my coaching where I really like the feeling of you know, working with a player or a team and getting that, you know, affirmation that impact was made. And then me being like, how can I continue 
to make it better? How can I continue to make that positive impact and not getting complacent? So um, that, I think that's sorry to cut you off. I think that's why you love coaching because you're a competitive bastard. But my question is, you are a natural athlete. You're very skilled. You won two national titles. I don't know if you mentioned that in the origin story, but it bears repeating. Two. 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 How do you talk to the kid who's a movement moron? Because sports PTs deal with that all the time. How do you do that? Well, I think that's where there's a, there's a balance because I think with some kids, if, if maybe they're struggling in my sport, but I know they have some effectiveness or they're moving well or doing well in other sports, then that's where I'm really trying to seek some of those analogies to draw and connect the dots for them. Um, but I also think that, again, going back to the overcoaching piece, you can't just always give them all the answers and then then process that from an audio perspective and then do it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where they need more and more time in the environment, more and more time in situations to learn and grow. And I, and I think, too, like there's kids who put so much pressure on themselves to get it right that sometimes it's them getting out of their own way mentally more than it is the actual skill and the motor piece of it. And so I think you have to try to be really in tune to that. And I, I am empathetic to that because I was always someone really hard on myself. So again, when I say like my disposition, I think coming from a place of being tough on myself, coming from a place of really trying to be curious and pushing to like learn and understand and being analytical and then being able to like verbalize that i think that's all helps me and then trying to connect with these young players if something's not getting through but i i I still really see though a huge kind of disconnect sometimes in coaching where just telling them like exactly how to do it isn't always just gonna translate into them doing it so how can you again you know, guide them in a way to help them figure it out. But also, I think sometimes creating environments where they're not so afraid to make the mistakes. And that's the tough balance, too. That's now that's an that is an awesome answer that answers my question really directly. Dude, you should be educating sports PTs, because it's all the same. It's all the same. The way you just described making connection, dumbing things down, meeting that athlete where they are, that's what we do for a living. Um, making them better. That, that's what sports PTs do for a living. So um, I think that that's really powerful stuff for, for the sports PT. Even if you're an accomplished sports physical therapist, you got to be listening to teachers like a Deemer class. You're not a PT, but you can coach and teach the hell out of movement. And that's what we got to be great at. One of the things you have to deal with is dealing with um, lacrosse moms. Um, and, and it depends where you are in the country. Sometimes that's a soccer mom. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, an overbearing football mom. If if you're down South in Texas, or it's all the same personality type. We deal that with that, like crazy. When's my kid going to get better? I need my kid ready for X, Y, Z. My kid is the next Deemer class. What's some advice you can give us on the best ways to deal with an, with an overbearing parent? Yeah, I was going to say, don't don't leave the dads out of this. Dads, parents, there you go. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not easy. Um, and, I, and I think, too, you know, the hard part is that um, it's 
it's coming from a place of competitiveness and you know I can understand you know and I can't understand because I'm not a parent but I can try to put myself in the shoes of when you're spending so much time on something you're traveling for something you're and money you're putting a lot of money into your your child's success and future and happiness that if it's not happening right away then you know it can be really hard um so i think one you know when people talk about the the crazy look you know parent the crazy lacrosse parent i think there's still like really hard for people until you have kids and you're in that situation to even understand that like that's might be you someday you know and i think everyone handles stress differently um so i think one it's probably also trying to be extra patient understanding and knowing that like it's just not easy for anyone um i think you know the the kid is probably hearing a lot of that at home too so like you know it's going to be tough on them from from that mental aspect um but i think what is is tough is that athletes are hearing messages in a lot of different places they're hearing their coach they're hearing their trainer they're and i think it's important to try to share with the parent the same kind of language that you're trying to share with the player and for me a lot of that is around growth mindset development how we're attacking how we're getting back to work how we're trying to handle the disappointment and again the whole thing that i was always told was the benefit of sports was the lessons you're going to learn from it and so as a parent like you also have to let your child learn those lessons you have to let them fail too and it's okay and i just think it's hard it's hard to watch someone you care about not do well or not do well right away but i think it's just constant reminders of that now at the end of the day like these are things that people choose to buy into or they don't and that's where that falls out of your control and but i think it has to just constantly be that that message that messaging to to reinforce because otherwise i think it can become very contrasting with what you're trying to teach the player mentally or just technically yeah that that consistency is something that we've seen as sports pts is here's the way we think it's going to go you keep consistent communication should there be hiccups the the athlete's parent is are is already kind of prepared for that because they've had consistent messaging from the coach from the sports pt so i think that's that's super helpful um you are man wise beyond your years that's a really eclectic way to look at it there's a lot of i think what causes a lot of stress too is lack of communication and i you know unfortunately i think there's um a lot of coaches out there whether it's club or this and it's just, you know, there's a, they're tempering like how much communication and even time bandwidth they can give to those, those parents too. And, uh, and I think as you get to more competitive levels, a lot of coaches are, Hey, we're no community. Yeah. We're not communicating yep. with the parents. And so a big thing I always try to advise too, is to put the ball in the player's court and have, and, and really try to encourage the parent to have the player drive a lot of discussion, have the player drive discussion with their high school coach, their club coach, um, you know, 
how can I get better? How, you know, what can I do to earn more time? What, you know, and making sure that, again, the phrasing is in a way of not just, I'm unhappy, give me more, I deserve more because I work hard. You know, my kid deserves more because they work hard, which again, no one really cares because everyone is working hard. And even if they're not, if they're just better, they're better. And that's how life is too. But that's, it's hard to say it like that. So it's more just, how can you, like encourage the the player to take the accountability and st- as they start to transition to early high school and beyond to and that's where i think the pressure kicks in because that's when recruiting For sure. starts to ramp up so yeah. i think the middle school player it's like you know there's not as much at stake you know but until they start to like choose a high school if they're going the private school route um so i think as that starts to happen that's where you want you want to try to push the parents too to help the player drive the bus because also college coaches want to hear from the kids. Those are the, the kids are there recruiting, but that yes, they're recruiting the family to buy into the bigger picture. But they're recruiting the kid to be a part of the culture, and the kid needs to ha- start to have that sense of awareness and accountability and how they carry themselves. Um, if it's all done by the parent, it it's gonna you know negatively impact their chances no question about it you're using sport to teach these kids how to be respectable legit grown-ups how to be and and that's something really awesome i think we can do the same thing with their injury process it's a massive setback how are you going to deal with it how's the athlete going to deal with it um how's the parent going to learn to deal with a kid with a setback that's a lot of times it's very new um so i think it's it's a great way to learn all the way around you mentioned communication and that's the last piece i really want to hit on here as an elite coach coaching elite athletes how much do you want to hear from a sports pt and how do you want to hear from us if at all so in my position i don't have as many conversations with the PTs directly. Now I'm not, right now I'm not coaching a team. Um, When I was coaching at USC, like I would really love to be in the know, but I think even then it was more from ATC than than physical therapists. Um, I I want to understand where they're at. and, And I think knowing that injuries can be such a nagging thing, there's there's an element to like I'm not of the mindset to just you know power through and and be the suck it up be tougher type you know I think that's you know that bravado is still in sports a lot and I think people are starting to get smarter and prioritize athletes health more but I think that as long as like as long as PTs also are understanding and and ATCs are understanding of the goals of the the team and the coach like they want to there's that tension coaches want them on the field especially if they're an impact player PTs are prioritizing the long-term health and you just I think want to just have that constant dialogue about the the risks and the timeline and in that way you know, the ultimate decision is probably still going to come down to the coach and the kid and then like making sure that whichever they choose, they understand the risk associated, I think. Yeah. Let me, let me reframe it. Um, because I think that makes a lot of sense when you look at the PT, 
the way we used to be 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the standard, hey, you don't go to PT unless you're hurt. Well, now you know this well from working with True Sports. Like, we're dealing with a ton of kids. They, they don't have debilitating injuries. They're looking for movement enhancement and movement performance. And so these are some of the conversations that I've loved with you as the elite level coaches. How do we make these kids more effective from a biomechanical standpoint? So if that's the case, if you're dealing with uh, true sports, or let's say it's not a true sports that you know and love, I'll say, um, you're in Idaho, but there's a sports PT just like us, great with movement, assessment, uh, understanding of what a lacrosse player needs to do at a high level. How does that guy get in touch with you when you come to town or you open an FCL Idaho branch? Yeah, that, that's a great, great question. I think if you're uh, a PT, I think the more you can build your network to get in touch with those coaches, even if it's not directly benefiting your programming, I think you can provide value. I think you can build the trusted relationship piece to where like that coach might consult you, might ask you questions over time. And also you're kind of, you know, even if it's not in a terms of a formal partnership, you're building a team, you're building a network that you can surround your, your athletes with. And I think, um, you know, it can be easy to, when maybe you're trying to think about that, it can be easy up front to be focusing purely on the dollars and cents from a business perspective or like, how's this gonna look? Yeah. But, but like, just by putting yourself out there to introduce yourself, maybe come by practice, watch, you know, hey, I'm working with some of the kids. I, I know they're on, you know, you're like starting to integrate yourself in the community more. And then I think you will build your reputation as someone who not only is knowledgeable about what they're doing, but they're also like they have the best interests of the kids. And I think the more that we've been able to do that and parents leave knowing like, hey, this wasn't a, a money grab. This was an event where my child got better. They had a good experience. Um, and we, we feel that they have their interests, you know, at heart. I think if you're a PT and you can show coaches that, if you can show parents that you can integrate yourself in any of your communities, I think the partnerships will naturally arise and you'll start to also quickly weed out the people who value what you do and the people who, you know, don't and think they can do it all on their own. And that, and that's fine too, because there's a lot of smart people who can do a lot of different things and you want to find the people that I think recognize, you know, what you can do for their athletes. I love it. Uh, you gotta, you have to show that you care. You have to show that you want to be there and just do crap for free. I, I can't even begin to count how many awesome referral sources that I've met because I'm just standing on the field watching, trying to learn, trying to learn from a Deemer class. I mean, like a, a really recent example is I met a strength coach up in Delaware who, who's an absolute stud, an absolute monster, who now really trusts what we do as a company at True Sports because I went up to your clinic in Delaware because I know and love what you do. And yeah, I knew and love most of your staff that was there. And it turned out I knew a bunch of the kids that were there. But I didn't do it to make a bunch of money, right? I just went up there because I love what you do and I love moving. I love the sport. And it turned into an awesome relationship that, that really could generate down the line revenue way more than I would have made by saying, nah, I'm going to need 18 bucks an hour to go up there or whatever. And, and here's the other takeaway to that too is, um, and I always had this conversation. Sometimes 
we had players who struggled with the idea of, well, if I do this extra work, will I get an opportunity to play? And the answer was, it would increase your chances that you would get an opportunity to play, not that you guaranteed an opportunity to play. So it's the same thing if you do this extra event, if you you know take a concession on your normal price to get the opportunity, and you're trying, if you can find a way to, to rationalize it, especially early on if you're building something, it's probably worth it. And you, I think, build more people in your corner in the long run. And I think that will come back, you know, fivefold, tenfold years down the line. I think if you can have that mentality, I think you'll you'll probably go far in, in your market. It's just a, it's another example of how sports is life. Life is sports. All businesses are the same. You got to put yourself out there. The lessons that you've imparted today during this interview. S- work so well in my world and I knew they would in the sports PT world and that's why I'm thrilled that we had you on here Deemer Uh, you've taught me so much just in this hour no question you brought a whole bunch of value um, to our audience of sports PTs I think we're better sports PTs for having listened to this I want to thank you for your time and I cannot wait to watch where first class lacrosse goes thanks thanks for having me I'm excited to listen back to this episode and uh, hopefully you know, if you're a PT listening to this, you know, we'd, we'd love to connect with you at some point, you know, good chance we're running training in, in a similar market. Um, and, uh, you know, we're on Instagram at First Class Lacrosse. So feel free to shoot a message. And it was great uh, spending some time today. Love it. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. If you'd like more information on today's episode, please visit us online at truesportspt.com. That's truesportspt.com. True Sports, what sports rehab should be.